Hey there, and welcome to the Calvary Southeast podcast. You are joining us for the final part of our Christmas series, which we're calling Behold. In this week's message, Pastor Ryan concludes our series by talking about the love of Jesus. It is always a blessing to get a Christmas gift from one of your loved ones, whether that gift is something you've always wanted or a surprise gift you weren't even thinking of. But the greatest gift that we can ever receive is Jesus, God with us. So grab your Bibles and join us as we behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Good morning. Good morning. Merry Christmas. Would you open your Bible to 1 John chapter 4? 1 John chapter 4. And if you're able, would you stand with me as we read God's Word together? 1 John chapter 4. We're just going to look at a few verses this morning. We're going to look at verses 9 through 12. 1 John 4, 9. By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God sent His Son, only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time, and if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. You may be seated. This month, we have been in a Christmas series that we're calling Behold. And, you know, behold isn't a word that we use much anymore nowadays. Now, you might be one that does use the word behold, but, you know, you think of behold. You know, we'll, I know for me, I'll use the word look or the phrase like check it out, like check this thing out, right? But again, the word behold isn't really in our everyday vocabulary. I think it's kind of unfortunate. You know, Noah Webster, who helped give us the meaning of the American English language in 1828, in his dictionary, he said regarding the word behold, let me read it to you, and I'm quoting, this is Noah Webster, to fix the eyes upon, to see with attention, I like that, I like that meaning, to observe with care, to behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, to gaze upon to direct the eyes to an object. Did you catch that verse in there? John 1.29, Noah Webster, in his dictionary, literally describes the word behold, and he says this means, and it should be applied to, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Isn't that incredible? The Webster Dictionary, 1828. Do we want to go back there? Maybe. I don't know. Like, <laughs> in a world where words are being redefined, right? Let's go back. Let's, like, let's, let's, let's see. What, is, what does this mean, really? To behold, to fix your eyes fully upon, to fill up your vision. You know, the Greeks translated the word behold this way, to stare at, to be singled-eyed, about something. The ancient Hebrews gave this meaning to the word behold, to fill up the eye with vision of a person, a place, or an object. 
And for those of us who are believers of Jesus today, we behold Jesus Christ. And it's not just today or this season that we behold him, but it's every single day of our lives. But if we're honest, there is something about the Christmas season that causes us to pause, to reflect, and to behold, or at least it should. You know, our society and our culture is always throwing at us things to behold. Because reality is we're all beholding something. The question is, what are we beholding? But there's many things coming at us to get our attention and to steal our affection. You might, you might say, like, hey, you know, there's a new Hallmark movie, Christmas movie out this year, right? And you're like, hey, did you see it, Right? Like, we're, we're wanting to behold it. Actually, just yesterday, we spent, spent yesterday at a wedding up in Seattle with Pastor Josh and Danae, and, and they're telling us about this new Hallmark Christmas movie. They're like, did you guys watch it? We're like, no, but tell us more about it. Like, did you behold it? They didn't use that word, but, you know, fill in the blank. You know, did you see the Black Friday, right, last month, the Black Friday ads, or, or the Cyber Monday deals at, like, Amazon or, or Fred Meyer? Like, did you see it? For some of you, you're beholding this week a crazy long to-do list. Anyone? Right? You're going to clean the house maybe this week. You've got to finish grocery shopping. You've got to purchase the last-minute gifts. That is me. I'm like, i got to go out tomorrow. You've got to wrap all of the gifts. That's my wife. Uh, <laughs> you know, you've got to try to do one, like, fun Christmas thing with the kids. You know, got to watch, like, Home Alone or something just so you, say, you can say that you enjoyed the Christmas season, right? And I know I'm stressing you out. You're like, this isn't what church is supposed to be, like this constant reminder of our to-do list. But all of these things are ever before us, grabbing our attention, causing us to dwell upon, to freak out about, or to think about. And if we're not careful, we will end up beholding all of the wrong things this season. If we're not careful, we will miss out on beholding Jesus, who I said a couple weeks ago is the reason for the season. And that was the heart behind this series, this short series, to rightly, for us as a church family, to rightly set our gaze and our perception. In week one, Pastor Nathan kicked us off and talked about beholding hope, that one day we will be with Jesus face to face, that one day the struggles of this life will be over. All of the wrongs in life will be made right. Are you grateful for that? Revelation 21, verses 4 and 5, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Because of who Jesus is and what he has done for us, we have hope despite the various difficulties that we face in life. Amen? We have this, as Nathan said, this hope of glory, reconciliation with God, that one day we will be in his presence and we hope in his return. We wait with great anticipation and expectation of the return of Jesus Christ. And Nathan's final point to all of us was this. Behold this hope. Behold this hope. That as we look back at the manger that brought forth the Messiah, let us behold the hope and not forget the soon return of King Jesus. Behold this hope. 
And then last week, Kevin spoke on beholding comfort. So not only do we have a future hope that awaits us, but we have a present comfort. Nathan talked about the hope that one day, you know, we will be with Jesus and all the wrongs in life will be made right. But then Kevin spoke on the, yeah, but what about the right here and the right now? What kind of hope do we have? We have comfort. A lot of us, you know, are going through seasons of trial or anxiety and depression and loss. And the comfort that we find is in the faithful presence of our good shepherd. It's the comfort that David would write about in Psalm 23 when he said this, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You've anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Listen, David is saying we don't fear even if we're facing death or if we're dining at the table of our enemies. Why? Because Jesus is with us. As Kevin said last week, Jesus is not only with us, but he suffers alongside us. He said that Jesus embraced the sorrow, betrayal, hatred, physical injuries, the insults, the misunderstandings, and the rejections that we have, just to name a few, so that we could fully relate to him. And he talked about that passage in Hebrews where it says, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin, therefore... Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in times of need. Amen? So as we go through this season, this week, and the weeks to come, maybe you're facing heartache. Maybe you're facing loneliness or trials or sorrow or rejection. Don't forget to behold the comfort that is found in Jesus, that he's with you, that we use this word Emmanuel for a reason, that it is God who is with you this season. Listen, the world cannot offer this kind of comfort. I want you to know that. The world tries to offer you this kind of comfort. And all it can offer you is momentary distractions from your pain. But Jesus can offer the comfort of his presence. Church, once again, as Kevin said last week, behold this comfort this season. Don't miss it. And that leads us to today. We're going to look at beholding love. And this morning, we're going to look at a part of this letter called 1 John. And what you have here is a letter from the Apostle John towards the end of his life. Now, John was a disciple of Jesus. He spent three years with Jesus. And then imagine the next 50 to 60 years of him just shepherding people in the ways of Jesus. You know, he's an old man at this time. Later in his life, and he's in Ephesus, and he writes these three little letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, to the church of Ephesus. And as he looks back and he talks about why Jesus came at all, he captures the whole essence of the coming and the birth of Jesus with one word, love, love. And we all want love, amen? <laughs> we all want to be loved. We all want to show love. We want to be a part of a community, a church family defined by love. But while everyone wants love, 
if we're honest, at times it feels elusive. It's always just beyond like our reach and our grasp. It's, it's always moving. And so we're looking for love, but we're also tired of cheap appeals to love because that's all that this world can offer us is just a cheap appeal to love. But when we look at the Bible, we see a story from start to finish of love Love that is not only real, but it's life-changing. And it doesn't just appeal to a generic, like, hallmark love, but it refers to God's love. And I want to show you in this passage here in 1 John 4 that it answers three of the most important questions concerning the love of God. Number one, what does God's love look like? Number two, how far does God's love go? And number three, how can God's love change my life? So let's look at that first question this morning. What does God's love look like? I mean, try to picture it this morning. Like, what do you think of when you try to think about God's love? Is it some kind of mysterious, like, essence in the clouds? Is it some sort of warm, fuzzy emotion or feeling in the heart? Like, to you, what does God's love look like to you? Well, 1 John chapter 4, look at verse 9. He says, By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. In other words, the love of God looks like Jesus. Jesus caring for you and I. Jesus forgiving our sins, Jesus healing the sick, Jesus comforting the, or confronting, I should say, the religious elites, Jesus laying his life down for the very ones who would reject him. You see, the Bible is a story all about God's love. But listen, Jesus, we're, we're told, is the embodiment of God's love. He is love incarnate. But many times or many did not recognize the love of God in Jesus because it was different from what they expected it to look like and to be. You know, there were generations upon generations of promises of one day a king would come, right? And then 400 years of silence go by. But then their anticipation was met with a surprise. You see, they expected a political ruler who would conquer Rome with force, but Jesus, here Jesus comes as a servant who would rule with mercy and grace. They were surprised by love, a love that is humble, sacrificial, self-giving. Jesus is the king, but the way that he came shattered their expectations, right? He wasn't born in Rome, which was the political capital of the world. He wasn't born in Athens, the cultural capital of the world, nor was he even born in Jerusalem, the religious capital of the world. No, no, no. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, a small, insignificant town. Why? Because he's a humble king. And he came with a mission to bring healing and hope to those around him. You know, a lot of people are enamored. They're amazed by the miracles of Jesus. You read the Gospels, and they're just blown away, rightfully so, right? It's amazing that Jesus could heal the sick, and he multiplied the loaves and the fish, and he fed 5,000. He walked on water. He did some incredible things. And yes, while the miracles of Jesus are incredible, the humility of Jesus is all the more stunning. The king became a servant. The creator entered into creation. The infinite became an infant. 
And why would he do this? Why would he do this? The most well-known Bible verse of all of Scripture, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that who would ever believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Love came down. Love gave, gave up the throne for a manger. Love sought the unwanted and the unclean. Love hung on the cross for the sins of the world. Love walked out of the tomb conquering death. Love ascended to the right hand of God. But again, it's not a generic. You're not gonna find this on Hallmark Channel, okay? Love is a person, and his name is Jesus. And so the love of God might be different than you expect, but listen, it will be greater than you can ever imagine. And Christmas is all about being surprised, isn't it? You think about a kid. You know, I, I, was, a, I was a kid once. I, I know, it's crazy. You're like, you're still a kid. Okay, we're, we're going to set that conversation aside, all right? I'm a little offended that you say that. All right. We're, we were children one day, yesterday, I don't know, years, decades ago. You know, you, 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 you have great anticipation and expectation, right, about Christmas morning. Yeah, you have your list, right? You have some things that you're kind of wanting for Christmas, but all of a sudden, right, you go downstairs, you go out, you're opening presents with your family, and inevitably, you'll open up something that you didn't put on that list or you didn't think that you would get, and boom, surprise, like, wow, like you're taken back. Christmas is all about a surprise. Except for my family, we stick to the list. Like, like you just stick to no surprises. No, I'm just, I'm joking. <laughs> But this Christmas, listen, this Christmas, today, it is my prayer that you would be surprised by love, that you would behold love, that you wouldn't miss it. Oh, yeah, there's love, the love of God. That's what I've been missing. It's my identity. I'm the beloved of God. So what does God's love look like? It looks like Jesus. So that leads us to the second question, that is this. How far does God's love go? And if we're honest, most of us assume that God's love only goes so far because we think, you know, deep down that it's dependent on my behavior or it changes with my circumstance or it's just limited and it'll run out eventually. And if God's love does have a limit, then many of us assume that we have surpassed that limit. But look at verse 10. John write this, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So how far does God's love go? John says the cross, it goes to the cross. This is the ultimate sign of how far God's love goes for us. But I want you to notice what it says at the beginning of verse 10. It says, not that we loved God, now, you have to think about this, because during Christmas, you know, people are fine talking about love. You know, yes, love, love this, love, love in Christmas. They go hand in hand. It sounds good. It feels great. Again, not to borrow and abuse the Hallmark story, but it's what every Hallmark movie is based on, love in Christmas. But when we talk about love, we talk, typically think of our love, right? We love, we're loving, we're gonna conquer hate with love, I love. If we just love more, then everything in the family and everything in life is gonna be fine. But listen, the Bible confronts this directly because it's ultimately about God's love. 
And so before we recognize how strong God's love is, and it's strong, we have to recognize this morning just how weak our love is. If we're honest, we often love just to get something in return. We often love in order to make ourselves look good or even look loving. But that's not love at all. Listen, Christmas is not about how good our love is. It's about how great God's love is. And so he says again in verse 10, in this is loved, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. Let me ask you a question. What do you think of, you know, when you think about God looking at you, how do you think he feels about you? Now get beyond, as you think of that question, get beyond the knee-jerk kind of church Christianity response that you might want to say, but how do you actually think that God feels when he thinks about you? Because if we're honest, maybe this morning you would feel that maybe God is disappointed with me. Maybe God's like over me. He's onto other people that are better than me. Or maybe God's against me. Or maybe he's constantly frustrated with me. But listen, this is what I want you to hear from the word of God. Because when God looks at you, how does he feel? Church, he loves you. He loves you. And that's true about all of you this morning. It's true about those of you who have been following Jesus for decades. Like I look around this room and I look at people who've been following Jesus for way longer than I've been alive. Listen this morning, the word for you is this, God loves you. And maybe this morning you don't know Jesus. And maybe you were dragged to church here because it's Christmas season, you should go to church. Listen, the word for you this morning, maybe you came to church just to hear this, God loves you. He loves you. Now, I know that many of us, we've heard this, right? We've heard this, yeah, 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 yeah. At some point in our lives, yeah, God loves me. Yeah, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me, I've heard it. But oftentimes we think, yeah, but that doesn't really apply to me. We may even agree, yeah, God loves me, but maybe there's an asterisk next to it. <laughs> kind of like the Houston Astros a couple years ago in the World Series. There's an asterisk, right? Like, yeah, they won the World Series, but there's an asterisk. And maybe that's how you feel about your life with Jesus. Maybe you're like, yeah, God loves me, but... He loves the good side of me, not the bad side of me. Maybe, yeah, God loves maybe the future version of me when I start serving and giving and loving my family better and all of those things. But I want you to hear right now, this morning, where you're at currently, God loves you. Listen, I was thinking this morning, I was thinking last night, we were driving home from Seattle, and I was going through my notes, and I was just thinking about this. Lord, what is it that you would want to communicate to Calvary Chapel Southeast? And again, it was just this, the love of God. Behold this love that God is pleased with you, that he's pleased, that he cares about you, that God sees you this morning. Would you just behold that? That God has not forgotten about you, that he sees your pain that you're going through that he loves you. And so when we talk about God's love, it doesn't just mean that he has an intense affection for you. No, love isn't merely a feeling, it's an action. Love is being so committed to the good of another that you're willing to sacrifice your good for theirs. 
And so God loves you and he loves me and it's a costly love. It's a love that goes to any extent to heal you, redeem you, and to restore you. And so when John writes here in verse 10 that God sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, it means that by dying on the cross, Jesus bore the judgment that you and I deserved so that we can be forgiven and reconciled to God. Romans 5.8, Paul would say this, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It doesn't say that he waited for you to get your act together. He didn't wait for you to kind of have a better church attendance record or anything like that or to stop sinning. No, no, he says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so the manger points us forward to the cross, Jesus taking on flesh so that he could take on our sins. Amen? And so at the cross, we see this glorious exchange where all of our guilt and all of our shame is placed on Jesus. And we're given joy. We're given peace. We're given hope. We're given love in Jesus. The love of God, the peace of God, the joy of the Lord. This is the good news of God's grace. That the author of life became a man so that we could live. He died so that we could live. And he took the curse so that we might receive a blessing. The great exchange. And so that leaves one last question this morning about God's love, and that is this. How can God's love change my life? Look at verse 11 and 12. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So how can God's love change our lives? There's a few ways. I'm just going to mention quickly three. Number one, God's love gives us a new identity. Just look at the first word in verse 11. First word. And listen, how, 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 how God addresses his people. What does he call us? Beloved. Beloved. Before he gives us the command to go and love others, he first reminds them of who they are. They are the beloved of God. And I want to speak that church over you this Christmas season. And I want to ask you, are you, you willing to have that spoken over you? That you are the beloved of the Lord. To speak that as your identity, where you find your value and your purpose in this life. That you are highly loved of God. Because listen, many of us, we get shaped, our identity is shaped by our past, by our failures, by our shortcomings, by what others have done for us, right? That's who we are, right? But let me say that beloved over you louder because constantly we're reminded of our past and it's loud. Constantly you are reminded of your shortcomings, but let this identity and this power of love, this position of love, beloved, be spoken over you this morning. That you and I are the beloved of God. That is who we are. We have a new identity. Now, God's love not only gives us a new identity, but God's love gives us a new power. 
Right after he talks about how God loves us and sent his son to be the propitiation, then he talks about how we ought to love one another. But you have to know that if you try and do this, church, in your own strength, it will be empty. If you just try and love others, you will have nothing left to give. And what we actually end up doing most of the time is that we try to love others, and it sounds great at first, but when you try to love people and you realize how hard it is, and this is hard, especially people who are hard to love. Have you ever tried to love someone? They just didn't receive it. They didn't love you back, right? It's just kind of like, I am just like trying to love a brick wall right now. And many of you, this coming weekend, you're going to be with family. And they're going to be hard to love. And you already have a little shaky of the hands, little anxiety about it. The only way that we can do this is if we're first filled with the love of God. It says God, God's love fills us and we just simply overflow and abound with God's love to those around us. John would say in verse 19 of chapter 4, he would capture this in one verse, we love because he first loved us. So yes, we are, church, called to love others, but we can only do that when we know how much we are first loved by God. So God's love can change us by giving us a new identity. It gives us a new power. And now, thirdly, God's love gives us a new family. Our love from God, our love for God, plays out with our love for one another and from one another. And we see this throughout the ministry of Jesus. You see this, I was reading the genealogies in Matthew's gospel the other day. And the, and the genealogy is just a long list of names. You guys probably, we all skip over them a lot of times, right? When we're, we're reading through scripture and uh, we're just like, yeah, I'm sure it's important sometimes. You know, I'll read it later. But, um, but yeah, the genealogies is just like a, um, the list of um, the lineage of Jesus, where he came from. But if you read, like go back and read like the genealogies in Matthew, it speaks a lot of who Jesus is because, by who is in the genealogies. One commentator says this about Matthew's genealogy. I love it. He said, Matthew's genealogy of Christ includes the outcast, the scandalous, and the foreigner. The family Jesus comes from anticipates the family he has come for. So God sends his son in love, not just to save individuals, but to create a family, brothers and sisters in Christ, who the, with the one thing, right, we have in common is Jesus. 1 John 3, 1, he would say this, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Behold this love. So this passage here in 1 John quickly answers three of the biggest questions that we could ever ask about God's love. What does God's love look like? It looks like Jesus. How far does God's love go? It goes all the way to the cross. And thirdly, how can God's love change my life? Well, listen, it gives you a new identity. It gives you a new power and a family. But what I want you to hear this morning as we close, the worship team's gonna come out. And what I want you to walk away with is this. God loves you. If you leave church and you go out to brunch this morning or wherever you're going today, and you're thinking about what you encountered here at church this morning, I pray 
that you would just know this. We, we were saturated in the reality of God's love for me. I don't want you to miss that. God's love for you. And I wanna call you this morning, as we're thinking about behold, I wanna call you to fix your eyes upon his love. This morning you were given the emblems, the bread and the cup. What a great visual to behold love, to see with attention, to fix our eyes upon the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And listen this morning, if you do not know Jesus, today, the Bible says, is the day of salvation. You can give your life. You can, you can experience this love. And this love could sound foreign to you. This love could sound distant to you. But listen, you could, for the first time, experience the love that God has for you. And as we respond, we're gonna eat and drink together. But may these emblems, may the bread and may the juice be that reminder, be that visual that God loves you so much that he sent Jesus to be the propitiation for our sins. And not just our sins, but the sins of the whole world. That word propitiation just simply means the satisfaction. He satisfied the wrath of God. Jesus took our place in death and we take his place with him in glory because of the cross. Thanks for listening to the final part of our Christmas series. We hope and pray that the Lord ministered to you throughout. If you're ever in the Portland area, we would love to have you visit for one of our services. For times and location, or even to just check out the ministry of Calvary Southeast, visit our website at ccseportland.com. We hope you've been blessed by this series. Stay tuned for our next one.